Hi, this is the official podcast of Riverside International Church in Lisbon. Riverside is an international, contemporary, caring, and Christ-centered community. Our vision is to significantly impact the country of Portugal and the regions beyond with the gospel. Thank you for listening to us, and we hope that your life will be impacted by these teachings. God bless. Good morning. Hello. Wow, this is a very different layout. I feel like all of you over there are like celestial beings because I can't see you. All I see is a light. Um, I talk to the humans over here. Um, but uh, it's good to be here. Um, I know that uh, sickness has been going around, right? It, I'm glad that I can actually be here because it's like this virus is hitting all of my uh, friends and family and, um, and we're actually the ones that are surviving and we're here. Um, but I'm actually, I, I'm, I'm very, speaking of sickness, I'm very grateful for the husband that I have. I, I don't know how many of you are, are married here, but um, when I'm sick, Ruben is like the most incredible nurse. He comes and he makes sure that my tea is always filled up. He makes sure that I'm eating even though I say I'm not hungry and I don't want to eat. He's there. He brings all the right medication, goes to the pharmacy. He, he knows what I have. He knows what I should take to make me better. He reads the, like, the, what do you call that in English? The instructions or the bulletins inside the medication boxes, which I had never seen anybody read until I got married to Ruben. Um, and he's like reading it, making sure that he deserves a round of applause. <laughs> so when I'm sick, I'm taken care of, right? I have a nurse, a full-time nurse. Um, I think his body has subconsciously internalized, don't get sick. Because uh, I think in the time that we've been married, I think I've seen him be sick maybe like once, maybe twice that I can remember. I think subconsciously his body's like, she has compassion level zero. You can't get sick. Um, because I just, I, I'm, I'm like, hey, hey, uh, are you hungry? Are you good? He's like, yeah, I'm good. Okay, see you later. Um, so I need to work on that. Uh, but the truth is that when you're sick, right, you realize that you've been taking your health for granted. Um, and yesterday, Ruben's not sick as in uh, a flu, but yesterday we were in the kitchen and he kind of just turned, just a normal movement, and his back gave out. And if you look at Ruben, he's kind of really stiff this morning. Um, but he, he can barely move. He's here. I, I told him that possibly it wouldn't be good for him to come, but he wanted to come. And so when you hug him, kind of hug him lightly today. Um, <coughs> but you realize, right, that when sickness comes that you've been taking your health for granted because all of a sudden you're limited. All of a sudden, there are so many things that you can't do. All of a sudden, the things you want to do, you possibly can't, or you have to do it at a slower rate. You have to do it in a different way because all of a sudden, there are boundaries of your capabilities. And in November of last year, uh, my dad went to the doctor. And uh, who knows Pastor Eddie here? A lot of you. So if you don't know Pastor Eddie, and for those who do know Pastor Eddie, uh, I have to call him that because I'm in church, but he's really just my dad. Um, <coughs> but my dad went to the doctor, and uh, he had these spots on his face, and so he decided, I'm going to go to the doctor. He's not a doctor kind of guy, so for him to go is already kind of a big thing. And so he goes, and he asks the doctor, what's these spots that I have on my face? And the doctor turns around, and he's like, well, really, you're just old, and uh, <laughs> there's nothing more to it. And so he was like, okay, well, I'm just old. And so he's about to walk out of the doctor's office when my mom says, hey, 
um, tell the doctor about this thing that you have on your back. It's like this sort of infection he had on his back. He's like, just, just ask the doctor about it. And so my dad asked the doctor, okay, can you check this out? My wife's kind of on my case about this. And so the doctor checks it out, and it turns out that he says, well, this doesn't look good, Eddie. And so they take it out, and they send it for tests. And in the beginning of 2020, new year, so many goals, so many things to happen, and we get the test results, and we realize that they found a melanoma and that my dad has cancer. And so, obviously, this is a big deal for us. Pastor Eddie, that's always on the go, that seemingly looked really healthy, actually has cancer. And so his, his life, just for the past two weeks, past three weeks now, just kind of stopped. All of a sudden, it wasn't about riding motorcycles. It wasn't about going and preaching. It wasn't about traveling. It was about doing one test after the other to figure out if this cancer had spread and where it was coming from. It could be coming from his brain. It could be coming from his lungs, from all sorts of areas, all different kinds of areas in his body. And we wanted to know if it was spread or if it was localized. The good news is that the past two weeks, he's been doing test after test, and every time the test results would come back, it was clear. And on the 23rd of January, he had surgery, and they opened him up to kind of see, see the problem and try to take it, take it out as much as they could. And this past week, the doctor said, it looks like we were able to get everything out, which is amazing. And we praise God for that. And he has one more test, and then hopefully everything will be clear. And so we praise God, but the reality is that he seemed healthy. The reality is that everything seemed to be fine, meanwhile, in his body. And we praise God that we were able to see it so soon, but there was something in his body that was going to kill him. And today, as we think about this, this episode and this, um, this kind of past month and what has happened, we are so grateful for that doctor. We're so grateful that we live in a country where my dad could have gone to the hospital and the doctor could identify a problem. He could identify what needs to be done and he could get right on it. And you can do tests and you can have surgery and you, it can be removed and now you can have your health back again. We are grateful for the doctor. And yet so many people want nothing to do with God. Because in the same way as that doctor identified a problem, that's what God wants to do in our lives. And in this message series that we've been doing, Jesus is speaking directly to the church, and he wants to identify an issue that we all have. He wants to identify this problem that is, that is common amongst all of us, this problem of sin. And not only does he want to identify it, he wants to describe how it got there and what will happen if we ignore it. And the most important thing he wants to do, he doesn't just want to point it out and leave us to it. He wants to point it out, and he wants to do something about it. He wants to fix it. He wants to solve it. He wants to provide an answer. And so we've been doing this message series entitled, Dear Church, A Letter from Jesus. And I've learned a lot in preaching and studying um, this book of Revelation, the first three chapters so far. I've learned a lot in this message series. And we've done four churches so far. Today is the fifth church. And we're looking at the letter that he writes to a church in a place called Sardis. And the city was more inland, inland than um, the other cities. We've done Ephesus, Smyrna, per Pergamon, Thyatira, and Sardis. So it's more inland than the other cities, but really the culture was pretty much like the other cities. The environment was pretty much similar. Um, the culture revolved around, there you go, looks just like the other cities. <laughs> At least the ruins do. <laughs> um, but the, the culture really revolved around money, 
power, sex, and pagan idolatry. Same thing of today, really. There's not much change throughout time. That's really what culture revolves around. And so Jesus begins his letter to this church as he does with the other letters. How does Jesus begin the other letters? Can anybody, I'm going to trivia you in this message. Sorry? I know. Sorry? To the angel of the church. He begins with an introduction. He introduces himself. This is who I am. This is, it's me that is talking to you. And so this is how he begins the letter to Sardis. To the angel of the church. The angel remembered just a messenger. To the messenger of the church. In Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So the number seven is sometimes a word picture in the Bible to refer to something that is complete and is perfect. And so when Jesus refers and he says, I hold the, the seven spirits of God, he's not necessarily saying seven spirits. He's referring to the completeness, to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He's saying that this is the Holy Spirit that can, that can heal. I have the spirit that can comfort, that can counsel, that can guide, that can change you, that can set you free, that can deliver you. This is the Holy Spirit that I have that is capable and powerful and complete. And then he says to the, I am the one that holds the seven stars, and he introduced himself in the same way when he spoke to the church in Ephesus. Remember the seven stars, he's referring to the seven pastors or the seven leaders of the seven churches. And I don't know, if you go back to the, to the map picture, I don't know exactly why Jesus wanted to speak to these seven churches. Some people say, okay, he, those were the seven churches he wanted to speak to. Others say, again, that the number seven was to refer to this completeness and wholeness. And so as Jesus speaks to each of the churches, he's pointing to the kind of whole church and complete church that he desires for us to be. And maybe in these message series as we've been preaching, maybe not every message resonates with you. Jesus identifies different issues in, in each of the churches and different things that they're going through and struggles that they have. And maybe you don't identify with all of them. It'd be kind of scary if you did identify with all of them. But Jesus kind of talks to each of the churches. And so we've been going through each of them because we believe that we have something to learn from that. We have something to learn from maybe if we're not experiencing it, we can be warned of it. And so this is how Jesus introduces himself. To the, to the church in Sardis, the one who holds the church in his hands, the one who cares about the church. And he cares so much about the church that he goes straight into identifying a problem. With the other letter so far, Jesus kind of gives a criticism sandwich, a real American way of, <laughs> of pointing out criticism. First you encourage, then you criticize, and then you encourage again. Um, but with this church, he goes through a more like Dutch avenue a more Nigerian avenue of just like, here's, here's the problem. And so Jesus says, let's read verse 1. He doesn't even get past verse 1. It's right in verse 1 what Jesus has to say to this church. He says, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Strong. Right in the beginning. Jesus identifies a problem, and, and I believe that he goes straight into this problem because it's serious. It's a serious condition. See, while people may live their lives going to work and building a, a career and building a family and pursuing all sorts of goals, Jesus identifies that there's something 
wrong in their hearts and in their souls, and it has to be confronted. See, other people might think that you're healthy. You might even think that you're healthy. But the gospel begins by telling us there's an issue. There's cancerous cells that cannot be ignored because they will only lead us to death. The gospel begins by explaining this problem that's faced by all of us, by every single one in this room, this problem of sin. Now, I want to begin today, and really what my message today is going to explain to you the whole point of Christianity. I just want to go through the gospel and, and say, this is why we sing. This is why I call myself a Christian. This is why I follow Jesus. And, and really, as I said, the gospel begins with this problem of sin. And so we have to understand, what is sin? What does that even mean when we sing about it, when we talk about it? What does it mean, this word, sin? So we have to go back to the beginning. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1, the beginning of the universe, the beginning of the world. When God completed his perfect creation, he turns around and he says, it is very good. Very good, when Jesus says something is very good, it means that, or when God says that something is very good, it means that it's perfect. It means that there was no evil, no disorder, no conflict, no pain, no discord, no disease, no decline, no death. His plans were good and were perfect, and he creates Adam and Eve, and he has this perfect relationship with them, and the Bible describes that he would walk with them, and that they would relate to one another. But as I've said before, for love to be true, it has to be free, and so God gives them a choice. And he says, this is my perfect, my, my good will for you, and this is how I intend for you to live in this freedom and in this relationship with you, with me. But I'm giving you a choice. Don't eat of that tree. Because that tree means separation from me. That tree means death. And we know the story. We know that Adam and Eve, they decided to disobey God. They ate of the tree. And the Bible says that when they disobeyed, sin entered into the world. Romans 5 verse 12 says, Through one man, Adam, Sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so sin is the separating factor between us and God. And I know that our culture doesn't want to hear it. I know that our culture nowadays doesn't want to talk about it, but our sin leads us to moral corruption. From birth, we have a heart problem. Our sinful nature, it opposes God. It opposes his ways. It opposes his love. It opposes his truth. It constantly tries to replace God with ourselves, with our own will, with our own desire, with our own ambition. And I know that some of you may turn to me and say, but Gabby, I'm, I'm not all that evil. I'm actually a good person, Gabby. I have, I have good goals, and I don't want to hurt anybody. I just want to do good in the world. I'm a good person. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if you're honest today, you'll realize that you too have fallen short of God's perfect standard. I know that, again, universal truths are not very common and popular these days, but we have this inbuilt consciousness that we can't deny this inbuilt morality that we can't deny. And if you're honest to yourself, even today, you'll know that your thoughts and your actions have 
many times been far from good. You know the things that you've done. You know the things that you keep doing. You know the ways that you've messed up. You know the ways that you've hurt other people. You know the ways that you've prioritized the wrong thing. You know the ways that you have hurt and that you've been hurt. And before you start to feel too uncomfortable as I point out the sin in your heart, I want to tell you that you're in the right place. Because that is what church is all about. Church is not a place for everybody that's perfect and got it all figured out. Church is a place for us to come together in our common sinfulness, in our common need for Jesus, in our common imperfection. This is what Jesus says. Mark chapter 2, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous and those that think they've never sinned and they have it all together. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here for those who know that they're sinful. I'm here for the sinners. And as we look around our world today, politicians and teachers and physicians, they try to fix society. They try to make the world a better place, but they can't fix it because they don't deal with the reality of the heart. We have to understand what sin is because it's why we need a savior. There's no point in telling other people of their need for salvation when they have no definition of sin, much less any recognition of it. You see, God is a holy God. God is a perfect God. And he hates evil. He can't coexist with it. He can't be in the presence of evil. God is a holy God. When you look around the world and you see all the suffering, and you see the injustice, you see the way that children are treated, and you see the way that women are, are, are sexually abused and raped, you see the way that men are dying in war, you see the poverty, and you're angry about it. So is God. He feels the same anger. But because God is a just God, he is a loving God, but he is a perfectly just God. He can't just overlook sin. He can't just overlook evil. At some point, he has to punish it. He has to punish sin. Sin has a consequence. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The result of sin is death. Not physical death, but spiritual, eternal death. Eternal separation from God because God cannot coexist with evil. He just can't. And we have to understand the severity of the condition. And that's why the gospel begins with this very basic principle that we all have sinned. We have to understand how serious this issue is. It's like a cancer in that from a human perspective, there's no cure. There's nothing that I can do to save myself from my sin. There's nothing, as hard as I try to be a good person, as hard as, I, as hard as I try to be perfect, that I may reach God, I will always fall short. There's nothing I can do. And this is where the good news comes in. This is where we sing. This is where Christians find freedom and find joy and find peace because the gospel is the good news. The gospel is not the bad news saying how bad we are and how, how hopeless our situation is. No, the Bible is all about hope. It's saying, yes, you have this problem. Let's recognize that we have this problem, but let's rejoice because God has made a way. Let's rejoice because God doesn't just want to identify it. He wants to solve it. He wants to break us free. He wants to cure you and heal you and deliver you. This is the good news. The Bible says that God so loved the world 
And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, because of his love, the Bible says God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might be put right with God. This is what the cross is all about. That's why it's so powerful that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is God, I know that's hard for us to wrap our minds around, but the Son of God, who is God, came and he made himself, although he was sinless, although he was perfect, he took the full weight of sin's guilt, my guilt and your guilt and the penalty that you should have paid and the penalty that I should have paid. Jesus takes it upon himself and he bore the punishment for it. He died as a substitute for sinners. And so those who trust in Jesus, they receive forgiveness, not because God just overlooks sin, but because it's already been paid for. That's why the cross perfectly illustrates the wrath of God. Because there had to be justice. Somebody had to pay the price. God had to punish sin. But the cross also illustrates the unfathomable love of God for sinners. That he would make a way. That he would send his only son to pay the price for us. Romans 5 says, For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. And so essentially, there's two reasons why we sing. There's two reasons why we rejoice and why we are so grateful as Christians. Number one, salvation. Because Jesus paid the price on the cross and we can be reconciled to God. This God that we were, before we were separated from and we could never enter his presence now because of Jesus. Even though I'm imperfect. Even though, Gabby, I know that I've failed so many times. Even though I've hurt people. Even though I live in this world where I am constantly hurt, even though all of this sin, because of Jesus, I can come into the presence of a holy God. I can come into the presence. I can have relationship with God. And maybe you're here and you identify with the sin part. Maybe you're here and you resonate with the sin part. And if you're honest, you can recognize, yes, I've sinned and I've messed up. But maybe you can't recognize, re resonate with a cross. Because you can't seem to believe that although you're sinful, Jesus loves you. Jesus went to the cross for you. Despite of your sin, he wants to be in relationship with you. And this is the first reason of why we have joy in the gospel. Because Jesus paid the price for my sin. I can have relationship with God, not just in this life, but forever. That's why we have hope. That's why we have confidence. I stand here before you as imperfect as I am, as sinful as I am. I stand before you with full conviction that I will be with God forever and ever. And that when this life is over, I will see him. And that I will worship him. And that we can see each other again. We have this blessed hope that because of Jesus, we can be with God the Father. We don't have to be separated from him. And the second reason we rejoice is because of sanctification. Now, I know that's a, a big word, but let me unpack that. See, being alive in Christ does not mean that I will be totally free from sin. And maybe that's shocking. Maybe that's a big surprise. But it's true. 
The moment I give my life to Christ, my life doesn't necessarily change from one moment to the next. My circumstances are still the same. When you, when you give your life to Christ, you still have the same family. Maybe you still have the same job, the same irritating boss. You still have the same struggles. And the Bible says in 1 John verse 8, verse, chapter 1, verse 8 says, if we claim to have no sin, then we deceive ourselves. See, being alive in Christ doesn't mean that you're sinless. It means that sin can no longer run or ruin your life. This is what Sinclair Ferguson wrote. Sin is not primarily an activity of man's will so much as a captivity which man suffers. While the presence of sin can never be abolished in this life, nor the influence of sin altered, its tendency is always the same. Its dominion, indeed, must be destroyed if a man is to be a Christian. And so being a Christian means that sin has no power over me anymore. See, Jesus didn't just die on the cross. He died and he rose again. He paid the price, but on the third day, the Bible says that he rose again, that he resurrected, and that's why we worship. Because when we believe in the cross, when we put our, our trust in the cross, we're not putting our trust in a dead God. We're putting our trust in a God who conquered even death. And because he conquered death, because he bore my sin and he paid the price and he resurrected, I'm putting my trust in a God who has power over everything in my life. He has power over it all. Sin has no more power over me. He can restore me. He can forgive me. He can heal me. He can change me. He can heal my wounds. This is the beauty of sanctification. God can change me and he can transform me. I don't have to remain the same. The Bible says, as Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, he says, for I have been crucified with Christ. What does he mean? He means my sin, my flesh, my, my desires, my ambition, the, the evilness that is within me. It has been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who lives. It's no longer Gabby who lives, but I now live through Christ. I now live through this faith in Jesus. I can be a new creation. In 2 Corinthians, we read the word saying, and this is why this message is such a message of hope. And I pray that you open your heart to it this morning. Because this is the message that gives us meaning and joy and purpose. In 2 Corinthians, we read, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. The new creation is not a sinless Christian. It's a Christian that can overcome. A Christian that is empowered by the Holy Spirit to fight the good fight. A fight for love, a fight for faith, a fight for holiness. You're no longer a slave to sin. You don't have to remain the way you are. God can do a new thing in your life. You can be free from the bondage of sin. You can be free from the pain. You can be free from the guilt. You can be free from shame. God has the power to make a new creation. The old can go and the new can come. God has the power to transform you. And not only does he have the power, but he wants to do it. He desperately wants to do something new in your life. Imagine, and I just want to give a short illustration that we may understand the work of God in our lives. Imagine that you have a branch. You have a tree, and this branch has been cut off from the tree. 
from the source of life. And now this branch is on the ground, and, and because it's, it's separated from the source of life, it eventually dries and it dies. And this branch has no ability to, to produce life. It has no ability to put itself back into the tree. And so all it can really do is remain dead. The Bible says that we are like this branch. That we were dead in our transgressions. And there was nothing we can do to revive ourselves. But imagine that in this illustration, imagine that this amazing gardener, he picks up this branch and he grafts it back into the tree. And now this, this branch, it starts to produce buds and leaves and fruit. And this branch that once was characterized by death, now it's characterized by life. God wants to do that in our lives. That's what Jesus came for, that we who are characterized by death, eternally separated from God, Jesus made a way that we could be grafted in and that we could start producing buds and leaves and fruit and that our life could have meaning and our life could have purpose and we could live not just for ourselves, but we could live for God and for others, that we could love others as we love ourselves, that we could lay down our lives for the gospel, that others might have joy, that others might have salvation, that others might have purpose and meaning in this life. Are you alive in Christ this morning? Though in our natural condition we were dead in sin, now through Christ we can be dead to sin. It has no power over us. Are you alive in Christ this morning? You see, Jesus turns to this church in Sardis and he says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Everyone else thought they were an active church. They were a happening church. That's the place to be on a Sunday morning. That's the right church to go to. They were appearing to do all the things that Christians are, are supposed to do. But although Jesus saved them from their sin, they were choosing to still dwell in it. They were part of an active church, but they were going through the motions. And I know that, I know that we are limited. And sometimes it may feel like you come to church and you know there's breakfast and then you're going to come down and there's maybe three songs and then somebody gets up and then it's a preaching and then we pray and then you go away and it's this program. But that's because we're limited in our way that we can worship God and that's the best way that we can come together and that together we can worship a God who is supernatural and who is beyond our limitations. But these guys were just going through the program. It's just a program. It's just another service. And God says, I know that you, you look like you're healthy, you look like you're alive, but you're actually dead. They were singing songs and making new friends and having a good time together, but really their hearts were not surrendered to God. Really, they weren't letting God transform their hearts. They were coming to church and they were singing the songs, but their lives remained the same. Nothing was changing. They kept doing the same things expecting different results, and nothing was changing. And God says, you look like you're alive, but you're dead. How many churches around the world can relate to Sardis? And as crazy as it seems, the church is a place where people are meant to be alive, and yet Jesus turns to them and he says, you aren't. See, in Galatians Chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And Paul was referring to the law in this verse as the context of, of 
Let yourselves be free because grace has saved you. Don't go back to trying to do it all on your own. But we can also understand from this verse, don't go back to anything that robs you from the freedom that you have in Christ. And so although the Christians in Sardis, although they believed in Jesus, although they believed in the power of God, they were going back to, to the things that robbed them of their freedom. They were still under the bondage of sin. They weren't allowing God to break them free from sin. We're supposedly in the right place doing the right things. And maybe you're able to cover it up and look healthy in front of others, but really inside you're still struggling with sin. And maybe it's taking over your life and you feel helpless. You believe in Jesus and you come to church and you're in the right place, but sin seems stronger. See, some Christians in our church believe in Jesus. They come to church and they sing the songs and they want to believe in the songs, but they go home and they're still struggling with pornography. And it happens in our church, happens in other churches, and can I, can I say it in church? Pornography is everywhere. The statistics of who, who, who deals with this in the world and in church are almost the same. And so people are coming to church and, and they say, oh, God, I don't want this in my life anymore. And you try and you try and you try, but you may have a good season, but at some point you're going to go right back to it. Because sin seems stronger. And maybe it's not an addiction. Maybe it's something else in your life that you just can't seem to resist. Maybe some of us are struggling so much with pride. We come to church. And we want to do the right thing, but when it comes to God transforming us, when it comes to God actually breaking our will, no, we want it our way. And we want it how we want it and when we want it. And we don't want to change because our pride is stronger. And maybe you can relate to Paul. Paul says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. And maybe this is you this morning. Maybe you can relate to the Christians in Sardis. The things I want to do, I can't do, but the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. It seems like sin is stronger, and it seems so hard to resist, but here's the good news again. And here's where the Bible brings a message of hope. Jesus says that in this battle against sin, he promises us. And the Bible says that God is not like man, that he should lie, and so we can trust him. When God promises us something, we can trust that it's true. He promises us that we can overcome sin. He promises that we can be victorious, that we can see change, that we can see transformation in our lives. This is what he says to the church in Sardis. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of the person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so Jesus, in his letter, he gives them the way to overcome. He says, wake up. Wake up. Recognize the way that you've been living. Recognize how sin has been so prevalent in your life and refuse to have a mentality of defeat. 
Don't buy into the enemy's lies that this is who you are and that things are never going to change and that you can't do any different and that a new creation can't come. Don't buy into these lies. God says, I can do a new thing. You can overcome. I can transform you. I can change you. I can break you free from the bondage of sin. Wake up. This is what the word says. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. You're not alone. We're all going through the same struggle. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And in other letters, as Jesus is speaking to the church, he constantly says, I know. I know. I know your struggle. I know the pressure. I know the influence around you. I know your workplace. I know your friends. I know your relationships. And I know the pressure that you feel. I know the influence of sin in this world. I know. The Bible says that the enemy is like a lion seeking whom he can devour. That he comes like a thief to kill, rob, and destroy. Jesus says, I know the world you're living in. I know the pressure. But you can overcome. You can overcome. He says, when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. He says, wake up. And then he says, strengthen what, is what remains. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. And so you have the power of the Spirit. You have access to the power of the Word of God. And maybe you can't say to no to sin in your own strength, but you can say yes to God. Maybe you can't say no to the temptations around you in your own strength, no matter how hard you try, but you absolutely can say yes to God. You can say yes to prayer. You can say yes to reading the word of God. You can say yes to spending time with him. And let me tell you that as a result of your relationship with him, as a result of saying yes to prioritizing God, to prioritizing the kingdom in your life, you will see change. You will see transformation. The Bible says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. And in the same chapter, in Romans chapter 6, the Bible tells us, put on the armor because it's a fight. It's a fight against sin. It's a fight against our own will, the things that we want to do that are not compatible with God. It's a daily battle. I don't know if it's just me. But it's a daily battle against my pride. It's a daily battle against the things that I don't want to do. And so the Bible tells us, put on the full armor of God. Put on the helmet of salvation. You are saved. You have this identity. You are saved by a God who loves you. Put on the belt of truth. Pick up the sword of the word of God. You have access to the word. Strengthen what remains. And then he says, remember. Remember his goodness. Remember what he's done in your life. Remember that he has a plan and a purpose for you. Remember the identity that he's given you. Remember the sacrifice that he made for you on the cross. Again, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, he did that for you. Remember. In the story of the prodigal son, we read that 
that this son, he, he had everything in his father's house. And, and one day he says, I want the inheritance, which is already an offense to say to a father who is still living. And he takes everything. He takes the money. And he goes out and he wastes it all. And the Bible says that after he's wasted all the money, after he slept with everyone he wanted, after he's fulfilled all the desires of his flesh, he finds himself poor, alone, and ashamed. And then as Jesus is telling the story, he says that it's at this point when he's alone, when he's poor, when he's ashamed, and when there's no way out, the Bible says that he remembers. He remembers his father's house. He remembers his identity as a son, and he says, even the slaves in my father's house are living better than me. And so he remembers. And maybe this morning you need to be reminded. I don't know where you find yourself this morning. I don't know what's your struggle. I don't know what's your context. But maybe you need to be reminded this morning that if you would just go home, that the Father is waiting for you not to scold you, not to, not to punish you, but is waiting for you to restore you. And he will come running with open arms. Maybe you need to be reminded of the Father's love, that yes, he is a just, just God. Yes, he has to punish sin but he has provided a way that if only you would believe in Jesus, that if only you would put your trust in Jesus, that he doesn't have to overlook your sin. Jesus paid the price. And now he can embrace you and you can have relationship with him. The Bible says, if only you will put your trust in him. And then Jesus says finally to the church, repent. In verse John, verse Chapter 1, verse 9, we read, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Come to God. Come to God and surrender. Come to God just as you are. Don't act. Don't cover up. Come to God and confess your sins. You don't have to come to me. Come to God. Confess your sins. And the Bible says that he is faithful. He is faithful to work in your life. He is faithful to purify you from all unrighteousness. He's ready to do something new and beautiful in your life. And I want to call the worship team to come up. See, in that, in that last part, Jesus says, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge the name before my Father and his angels. See, in ancient times, they used to have a register of all their citizens. And when someone died, the name would be removed from the register. But Jesus says, when you overcome... When you're victorious, when you let me work in your life, when you have a relationship with me, I will never blot out your name from the book of life. You will have abundant life and purpose in this life, and you will have eternal life. You will live with me forever. And so maybe you've never asked for forgiveness. Maybe you've never understood the gospel. Maybe you've never accepted the gospel, but it's this simple. The gospel is simple. We don't have to overcomplicate it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him 
shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. And maybe you've never made that decision. Maybe you've never come to God and say, God, I've recognized my imperfection, but I put my trust in you. And I believe that you are able to do something beautiful with me. That you are able to give me life. Where once I was only characterized by death, I believe that I can be characterized by life and that I can produce fruit and that I can live with a purpose and that I can live with direction and that I can create an impact in my life and in the lives of those around me. God, I believe that you can use me even though I'm not capable, even though I don't have all the qualifications, even though I don't have all the resources. God, I believe that you can use me because you are powerful. Because you conquered death. You have power to use me, to transform me, to change me. And as you change me, to change my circumstances. Maybe that's you, and I want to give you the opportunity this morning to make that decision, and I promise you, this decision to come before God, to ask for forgiveness of your sins, to put your trust in Jesus Christ is the best decision, the most life-changing decisions that you will ever make in your life. It gave me a new identity. It showed me who I really am. Jesus gave me a purpose. Jesus gave me a blessed assurance that I know that if I die today, I will be with my Father in heaven. And I have full conviction. The gen generic meaning of sanctification means it's the state of proper functioning. The state of proper functioning. And, to, and so to sanctify something is to set that person or that thing apart for the use intended by its designer. To sanctify something or someone is to bring it back to what it was meant to be. We are sanctified when we allow God to work in our lives and restore us for his purpose. To be holy to be pleasing to him and maybe this is you maybe you gave your life to Christ and you remember when you did it and you've been walking a life as a Christian and you've appeared healthy and you've appeared active and you've appeared like you're doing all the right things but really inside you know that sin is ruling your life and that it seems hopeless and it seems like you're not strong enough well I want to tell you this morning that God is strong enough and that he wants to sanctify you, that he wants to restore you for the purpose that he intends for your life, and that he can do a new thing. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so has he removed our sin from us. You don't have to live with the guilt. You don't have to live with the shame. You don't have to live with this constant struggle of trying to do it on your own, of trying to be strong, of trying to be good, of trying to be holy. No, God wants to do it for you, and he wants to say, I can do a new thing. Don't be ashamed. Come before me. As far as the east is from the west, I want to remove your sin from you. In Hebrews chapter 8, we read, And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. That's amazing. It's amazing that we can come before God and he says, I will never again remember your sins. If you will only come before me, confess and surrender, I will do a new thing. So I want to invite you to stand this morning. 
And as we sing, I want you to just have a moment with God. Be real with God. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of being real. Don't be afraid of being honest. He wants to embrace you. He's ready to do something new. He's ready to lift the weight off your shoulders. Some of you have been living with this weight on your shoulders, with this cloud above your head, and, and Jesus says, I want to take that out. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so have this real conversation with Jesus. Where are you at? Maybe you need to recognize your sin. Maybe you need to confess some things. Maybe you need to be reminded that God has the power to forgive. And he has a power to do something new. We hope that God has touched your heart with the message that he wants to tell us. If you would like to be updated with the things that are happening in our church, you will follow us on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Riverside Lisbon. Thank you for listening.